Today's passage is from Matthew 10, verses 37 to 39. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, and I'd like to uh, introduce our guest speaker today. Uh, we have Pastor Andy Bay joining us. Some of you might recognize him or recognize the name. Um, he's been here to preach a few times. Um, if you haven't had a chance to meet him, encourage you to meet him after service, but he's currently serving uh, through Union Gospel Mission, uh, and we're excited to hear from you today. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. It's really good to be here again. I think the last time I was here was just a couple months ago. Um, I'm going to get right into it this morning. Uh, it's a tough passage. I have to let you know, um, even for me as a pastor, as I read this piece of scripture, it's a very tough passage um, to preach. It's a very tough passage to share. But uh, to give you a little background, Doug, your pastor, asked me a couple weeks ago, hey, what are you going to preach on? And I said, hey, I've been reading um, Matthew chapter 10, and in this particular piece, I uh, got to it. And I, I, I want to share, I just want to read that WhatsApp where I wrote, um, I want to preach on Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus says, if you love your father and mother more than you love me, passage. I want to preach on the idea that God doesn't want us to just settle for him. It's much more costly than that. It's about taking up our cross and being fully devoted to him. I want to challenge your congregation on the comfort and the apathy posture that we've held onto for so long as Christians living in Vancouver. He didn't say anything back. Just sends me the prayer emoji. I'm like, thank you, Doug. But I'm going to get started. I left my position as English pastor just at my church in the summer of 2022 to become one of the frontline workers at Union Gospel Mission in the city's downtown east side. This officially wrapped up my 13 years of being a pastor in the city. And in this last year, I still taught and preached on roughly around 20 Sundays as I calculated. But that still left me more open on Sundays than I've ever been before for the last decade or so. Even though I did occasionally take ministry responsibilities I find that I have Sundays more free than I ever had previously. What this implies for me is that during these Sundays, I now have complete freedom. Now more than ever, I can relate to the collective cultural mindset of Sunday mornings. What do we do on Sunday morning if not go to church? But this year... Left me to ask over and over again, why bother with church? 
And I know that's a very interesting introduction to my sermon today, especially with such a hard passage. But I ask and honestly reflected, why go to church on Sunday morning? After all, many churches, because of the pandemic, have started broadcasting their services online for the world to see. We had access to any, any service in this world, big churches, mega churches, smaller churches, any of the church we could watch in real time, we could watch again at any time. In addition, our service are now archived online and available for streaming, download, you can listen to it as podcasts, so you could hear sermons and participate in service whenever is convenient for you during the week. There are thousands, if not millions, of other churches that could always provide on an online experience that fits yours. Almost any church at any time for free. That's the crazy part. And this leads me back to my original question. Why go to church then? Why? To be honest, my reflection for this past year, now that I'm no longer a pastor at a local church, merely going to church seems pointless to me. I think if you just come here for the three or four songs we just sang together, the message, you could virtually do all of this by being online. And in fact, it would be a lot easier. It could be even more convenient. But for some of us, I know, being online is not the same. Simply being online, attending service, is not the same as as being here physically. But that made me rethink again. If I, if you, are just coming to this place by just attending and going to church, then I think it's a waste of time. It's really a waste of time. Hear me out. I don't think going to church was ever a biblical idea. Jesus did not appoint the 12 disciples because he wanted them simply to go to church. You and I live in the North America idea, cultural idea, where we we go to events, we go to sports, we go to games, we go to watch a movie, and we include this event, this service, as part of something that we just go to and we participate in. Many research group has done tremendous amount of research in the past 10 to 15 years talking about why people, most, most, of the people that you grew up with that are part of the church are not anymore. They're de church, whatever term you want to coin them. They don't go to church anymore. But that's the point. Many people don't, would rather not go to church on a Sunday morning. Why? Because for the longest time, church was just about going to church including being in Vancouver 
We no longer want to make disciples. We no longer want to share the gospel. All we really want is to gather here, sing a few songs, listen to a person like me, babble for 20 minutes, and then we go home. Church, if that's it, we're doing this. It's a waste of time. I can't get more blunt than that. If that's it, you and I have wasted our time every single Sunday, 52 Sundays. If that's it, if coming to church, going to church, just as if we're another consumer or an attendee, we've wasted many hours. On top of that, this last year, as I got to go to different church after church after church and having conversation after conversation is that we're not battling with tons of very difficult, difficult rocket science type of things in terms of church. All this city is as Christians is we're too comfortable. We're way too comfortable. This city's wealth and cultural impact have completely absorbed us. I can't deny the fact that this sucks. Living in this city, I am engulfed by the wealth of this city, by the cultural enjoyment of this city. Earlier, both our worship leaders and Jocelyn talked about if you're enjoying the summer. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying the summer. There's nothing wrong with going out to play maybe a soccer or baseball, going to watch movies underneath the stars. There's nothing wrong with going on vacation and cruises. But a part of me, a part of me wonder whether all these things added together has made us so comfortable living in this city that even our spirituality has become quite lukewarm as Jesus in Revelation say. If you know the passage in Revelation chapter 3, he was talking to the church in Laodicea, going, hey, you're not hot nor cold. You're not hot, you're not cold. You're not on fire. You're also not just brand new. You're just right in the middle. That's Vancouver. That's Christians in Vancouver. The biggest problem in the church in Vancouver, as I saw in this past year, is apathy. It's having no big deal. No more enthusiasm. It's being comfortable and loving that comfort. Most are not fired up are you? If I want to take a survey this morning, how many of you would actually attribute, hey, I'm on fire for God. Please put up your hand. One. How many people do we have in this room? Maybe 50 or 60? Or maybe some of you are like, no, I'm just kind of shy. I don't really want to put up my hand. 
But can I ask you honestly, are you on fire for God? Would you attribute yourself as being on fire? How many churches are like this? Where we're not sure. We don't even know how to answer that question. Did Jesus die on that cross so that we can just be nominal Christian, come to church, live a West Coast lifestyle or what it means to be Christian in Vancouver? That's my question for us this morning. Because Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, I think describes the city of Vancouver, all Christians, really well. Majority of us, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're right in the middle. You're comfortable. And now, nobody likes to hear that. Even when I read these passages, I'm like, Jesus, really? Man, I, I've been doing this for you for like the past 15 years. But if I were to ask myself, am I on fire for God right now? I can tell you, nope. I mean, there are points, there are some times when, yes, I'd be like totally on fire for God, totally super passionate for Jesus. But that got dumped once I come to Vancouver. This place is known, if you didn't know, as the pastor's killer. If you want to die as a pastor, move to Vancouver. I knew about this before I came here. We kind of have this joke internally as pastors. How long can you stay in the city before you leave and get burnt out? Do you know what the average time frame of being a pastor in this city is? Two years. How long has Pastor Doug been here? Does anybody know? Some of you are kind of mumbling. You, you kind of have a general idea. Church, you think it's hard to be a Christian in this city. And I know it's hard. Try being a pastor in this city. Try preaching Sundays after Sundays after Sundays to people who are so comfortable in this city. And the problem is, the problem is, as I got a chance to go to many churches this year where I wasn't totally connected to the local church, I got to talk to people because some of us, we are so comfortable and we know that we're comfortable that we are perfectly fine that we are comfortable. And I know some of you guys are trying to avoid eye contact with me. That's why I'm looking at you right now. I know you're uncomfortable as we're talking about this, but we need to talk about this. North American churches are dying. We know that. This has been going on for a while now. Churches are dying. 
when the world looks at us, they think we're strange. They think we're strange when Christians from the world looks at us. They think we're strange. Because when you think about this, Jesus, during his time, taught his disciples to pray. One of the key words in his prayer, in the Lord's Prayer, was, give us today our daily bread. How many of us need to beg to Jesus in this room? God, can you give us my daily bread today? Because if you don't come through, I don't have anything to eat. I won't be able to live. I won't be able to continue my life. And so we don't have to ask. We no longer have to ask, God, give us today our daily bread because we need it. No, we don't really need God, right? Living this life every day, you don't really need God, do you? You don't need God to provide for your daily bread. You don't need God to provide for you so that you would have money to pay bills. You don't really need God. Do us? Do we? Majority of us, chances are after service, we can go out, we can buy something, we can buy food, we can buy something to drink, we have a car to drive in, we have money in our pocket. If not, you have a card to tap. Right? When was the last time you desperately needed God to come through for you? When was the last time you really needed God? I mean, being in Vancouver, the majority of people that go to churches in Vancouver don't really need God. We want a little bit of Him. We want a little bit of God. Just enough. Just enough so that it's good for my kids. I've been thinking a lot about my little girl who's two years old, two and a half now. How she's good, what kind of church she's going to grow up in. What kind of Christian household we're going to raised her in. But for the majority of us, yeah, we want a little bit of God so that we can give maybe the next generation a little bit of morals. I mean, it's good to be kind. It's good for them to learn and give a little bit here and there, serve a little bit. But for most of us, we've got enough of God. I mean, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough stuff. I don't have a big enough house. I need more of that. But I think I've got enough of God in my life right now. And so when the church asks you, hey, can you serve a little bit more? No, it's okay. Somebody else can do that. Well, do you want to get into a small group so that we can get closer? No, it's okay. I've got enough of God. I've got enough, just enough relational connection, 
I don't need others to ask me about my life, my marriage, how I spend my money. I don't need people to keep me accountable. No, thank you. It's okay. I've got enough of God. Church, I've been thinking about the Revelation passage and how it ties to Matthew 10 for a while. I want to read to you one more time this passage in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37 to 39. Jesus says, If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. You see, this morning, I want to pair up the two passages, one in Revelation chapter 3, the other one in Matthew chapter 10 that I just read for you. Jesus in Matthew is basically saying, God is someone who knows his own worth. He knows what he's all about. God says, I am worth it. I'm worth it for you to follow me. I'm worth it for you to give up everything for worth this idea. He uses over and over again. Your love for me in comparison to your love for your mother, your father, your son, your daughter, everything else in life should be incomparable when it's measure up to your love for me. But notice two words this morning. More than. More than. Earlier our worship leader asked, what do you love? You and I, we all have something we love in this world. And I use that word love not lightly because some of us, we love bubble tea, we love sushi, but we also love significant other, our father, mother. We love going on vacation. Love gets tossed out like it's cheap, like it's free. But let's think about this. What do you love most of all? What do you love? Because Jesus teaches us two things. First, you must love him. Second, you must love him more than you love any of the people in your life or anything else in your life. That comparison of love is going to be so great that when it's measured to others, it will seem like hate. It's almost saying in comparison of your love towards Jesus, everything else should be nominal. But we kind of flip it around where we love everything else and then our relationship with Jesus becomes nominal. Christianity, if you didn't know, constantly talks about God loving us. And that's not a bad thing. But Jesus this morning is challenging us with this question. Do you 
love me? Do you actually love me more than you love everything else in this world? And that includes your parents, yourself. Some of us love ourselves because we're taught to love ourselves. Do you love me more than your love for money? So the question I want to ask you this morning is, what do you love more than Jesus? Because I guarantee you, if we can sit down and have coffee, have a meal, and if I can hack into your life, we'll find it. We'll find it. In fact, when I'm asking you right now, what do you love more? Chances are you have something in your mind. We tend to spend a lot of time on the things we love. We tend to let our mind wander into things we love. Quick question is, how much time do you spend on your phone? Your phone is going to tell you. My phone reminded me this morning. How much time do you spend on social media? How much time do you spend scrolling around on TikTok or watching Netflix and any of the shows that are there? The question continues on because Jesus wasn't done. I'm about to wrap up. I've got another five minutes. Jesus, after he declares, hey, you're supposed to love God more than you love everything else. He continues. He goes, hey, if you refuse to take up your cross, take up your cross. Now this is something that miss, that we, we all miss because we don't really know what it means to take up your cross. Pastors often talk about this, but I want to give you an, a great illustration. I saw that we have a cross up here at Lord's Love Church. Does anybody know how heavy, how much does a first century cross weigh? Like weigh. The actual cross that they would hang people up on. It's definitely not this. Because this is fair films, you can't, chances are if I get hung up on there, that cross is going to collapse. How much does an actual cross weigh? Does anybody know? Just round of estimate. Roughly 300 pounds. 300 pounds. I, myself, I'm 5'8". This year, I've lost a significant amount of weight. Healthy weight, though because I cut out dairy and gluten. My wife can't help but keep on reminding me that I look very skinny right now. I weigh about 135 pounds. A cross doubles my weight. I wouldn't imagine with you, if I were to carry a 300-pound cross, walked into that door, came up here, let alone 
you're like, oh, that's fine. You come to church with a cross. We're Christians. You're a pastor. Not awkward at all. How would I fit it into my car? If all of you had to carry a 300-pound cross right now, let's take this very literally and not just metaphorically. How would you fit it into your car? How many of you have cars that can fit a 300-pound cross, first of all, being in Vancouver? Not really. Most of us probably don't because we don't drive a truck or an SUV. Or if you drive an SUV, how would you fit your kids in there if you got a cross in there? 300-pound cross. The center beam alone cross uh, weighs around 150 pounds. It's not something that's light. It's not something that's easy. Plus, the cross, as you can see, is shaped very clunky. You can't fold it. You can't cut it up. So imagine if you had to bring this cross everywhere you went because Jesus is asking his disciples, hey, carry that cross everywhere you go and live as my disciples. You and I can't even metaphorically imagine carrying this cross everywhere you go, into restaurants, into supermarkets. I bet you if you start carrying a 300-pound cross all over Vancouver, you will be famous. I I guarantee you, your social media will blow up. You'll be viral instantly. You'll be known as a person who carries a 300-pound cross all over this city. Some would clap and be admired. Some would think you're crazy. But think about this. What did Jesus ask us to do when he said, if you don't take up your cross, you can't follow me. This morning is is a very hard passage because Jesus over and over again lays it out If you don't love me more than you love everything else in this world, if you don't carry your cross, he's saying, you're not worthy to follow me. In other words, he's saying, you're cut. You're cut. You shouldn't be my disciple. You're not worthy to follow me. While churches, you and I, and part of it's my fault because pastors like us don't teach this. We don't expect more of you. We don't require more of you. We don't remind you. Hey, if you really want to follow Jesus, look at passages like this. Instead, we go, Jesus loves you. Come on over. Your sins are forgiven. Come cuddle Jesus. Not that that part is wrong. Jesus does love you. He does forgive you, but at the same time, radical abandonment is at the center of Jesus' gospel. Jesus was calling the followers of the first century, his disciples, to abandon their comforts, all that was familiar to them. When Jesus asked his disciples, lay down your nets, they were abandoning their dreams. Their whole lives were reoriented to work around Jesus, while churches can't even get small groups running nowadays because we're too busy. We're too busy. 
oh, how about, like, let's, let's, let's make it, no, 7.30, but 7.30 next Sunday doesn't work. I've got a dinner thing that I've planned about half a year ago with my in-laws. We booked this restaurant. It was really, really hard to get into. So, yeah, I can't do small groups on that day. Tuesday, Thursday, you know what? My kids got soccer practice, so we can't do that. You know how I know? It's because I'm in a families group. There's like more than 15 families in there. And more often than not, they're like, we can't come, we can't come, we can't come. And half of me is like, why are you in here then? Church, I really need you to think about this. I'm going to wrap up. Living in Vancouver, I started out saying, we're very comfortable. We're very, very comfortable. Because you and I have morphed Jesus into this nice, middle-class, friendly Jesus. A Jesus that doesn't mind materialism and who would never call us to give away everything we have. A Jesus who would never expect us to give him all of our affection. A Jesus who's fine with nominal church attendance and does not infringe on our schedules, comfort. Because after all, Jesus loves me. This I know. This is a Jesus that avoids danger. This is a Jesus that's nice and comfortable. This is a Jesus that wants to bless us and gives us prosperity. You and I have become so comfortable. We morphed Jesus into a nice, middle-class, friendly, Vancouver, West Coast Jesus. Jesus is no longer the Jesus of the Bible when we do that. The last question I want to ask, then why did Jesus die on the cross? Why? Is it so that you and I can live out a Christian spin to this West Coast Vancouver lifestyle? Is that it? Lord's Love Church, we really need to think through this. Think through what is happening in your life. And I know every time I come here, Doug tells me, he's like, Andy, why do you always punch us in the gut? Those are his exact quote. And I go, I don't know. So I want to end with a more hopeful ending. One of the reasons why I come over and over again, I come back whenever Doug asks me, it's not like I don't have anything to do on Sunday mornings. It's not. I wake up super early to study, go to work 40 hours a week. The rest of the time, I spend time with my wife, with my daughter. But every time Doug asks me, I said I want to be here. Is because I'm encouraged by your church. Your church have modeled a truer 
sorts of communities. And I told Doug, I'm very inspired by that. Your church has modeled what it means to move outwards, to not just be internally focused, to extend out to whether that means outreach or connecting with other people. I'm inspired by your church because your church choose to feed the hungry. The weak are lifted up. I'm inspired by that. Such communities like this might not have much success, money, or influence that some of the people in our city has, but your church has communities marked by love, and I see it. I'm encouraged. I'm inspired by that. So Lord's Love Church, while you're reflecting on the point and question that Jesus is asking, may you continue to model and be the church instead of just coming to church. I really pray, really want to pray. Doug and I don't have that power but we trust that Jesus does. He'll ignite you back up so that in years to come, when we ask the question, are you on fire for God? You'll have no hesitation but to put your hand up. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this morning we won't hear this out of a condescending tone. But we'll hear it with the Father's heart longing for what's best for your sons and daughters. Instead of finding our worth and money, and what, what this city sometimes define as. Help us to know that we're infinitely valuable in you, and that your church should be different. So God, I don't have answers to a lot of questions, but Spirit, may you help us, fill us. We thank you. Christ's name. Amen.